podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What a fantastic goal that is from Derby! Hello and welcome. Thanks for listening once again to Steve Bloomer's Washing, the Derby County Independent Podcast. The new year has thankfully brought us a slight upturn in form for the Rams. In fact, we're unbeaten in 2020. Thank you very much. A pleasantly surprising cup upset and even some goals on the road. It's nice to see Derby County sticking to their news resolution of giving up losing away games 3-0. Uh, joining me to reflect on all things Derby County, uh, Tom and Anton. All right, lads? Very well, thanks. All right, Chris? No beers in today because A, it's January, and B, it's blowing an absolute Marcus Gale out there. So we've uh, just having a cup of tea instead. Nothing wrong with that, is there? Yorkshire tea as well, the only decent thing to come out of Yorkshire. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I wasn't even going to say Jeffrey Boycott. He's not decent, is he? Um, so no beers, but uh, tea instead. And with us on the phone from almost 8,500 miles away is uh, Radio Derby's newest international cricket correspondent, Richard Kutcher. All right? Hi, boys. How you doing? We're all fine. Can you care to explain, A, what you're doing there, and uh, B, how you ended up on the wireless not talking about Derby County? Yeah, good question. So uh, to spare you too much detail, uh, I quit my job before Christmas, uh, launched my own business and decided to launch it from seven weeks in South Africa where I used to live. So I'm trying to get fit out here, doing lots of running and hiking, doing a little bit of work, uh, drinking some good wine. And I was at the cricket watching the second test at Newlands. And I think Chris Cole's got wind of that on Twitter. And then I turned up on the, I think it's, is it Ian Sky, the, uh, the, the morning DJ on Radio Derby? That's him, yeah. He ended up calling me and I'd chatted all things cricket and crime in Cape Town, I think was the ultimate, uh, <laughs> ultimate uh, discussion in the end. And you got, a, uh, you got a couple of plugs in for the podcast as well, didn't you? Which is the most important thing. Of course, of course. We made sure that they, they introduced me as Steve Bloomer's washing, uh, Richard Kutcher. So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was worthwhile and always happy to talk cricket with our friends uh, in Derbyshire. Good. Glad you stayed on message. So in episode 74, we will take a look back at that FA Cup win over Crystal Palace, the away point at the Riverside uh, most recently. And as it's January, we have dialed up Daily Telegraph transfer guru John Percy to give us the latest on those loan links, as well as his views on financial fair play, Wayne Rooney, the new investment and one or two other bits and pieces. Now don't forget, Steve Bloomer's Washing is partnered for the season with Derby Brewing Company, Derby's original craft brewer. But let's uh, let's dive straight in, chaps. Uh, Middlesbrough 2, Derby County 2. Now over five months since our last league away win. Not that anyone's counting. Uh, but hey, at least we didn't lose. So a small step in the right direction. And um, it looks exactly like another away defeat with just minutes to go or seconds to go until uh, All-American hero Dwayne Holmes popped up at injury time, channeled his inner George Thorne and spanked one in the bottom corner on the volley. I mean, for me, having watching game, Kutch, that first half was as poor as most of our way worst away performances this season. Think Brentford, Charlton, parts of Fulham, 
as well, but we somehow only went in 1-0 down. And when you look at the chances the Borough missed in that first half, Lewis Wing missed that free header before his goal. Uh, Patrick Roberts, who looks a decent player, he skied a chance when uh, the ball was squared to him across the box. But we did show a lot more battling qualities in that second half and a lot of better attitude. And I think when you take into account Borough's recent form, they had won their last four games, including beating Preston away and West Brom away. Do you think, Richard, that the point we came away with was on a par with Leeds away earlier in the season as one of our most fortunate this year? I don't know if it was the mo- one of those fortunate because I think I feel like because the second half performance was such an improvement and so good, uh, we did dominate the second half for long periods. I think they probably had like a 10 or 15 minute spell after we scored around the time they got the penalty when they, they came back into it. Um, I thought I thought we played really well second half. I think Cocky made the right changes at half time in terms of the system. Uh, we looked a lot more in the front foot. We're a lot more aggressive. We created uh, a few chances, few good chances second half. We also missed, although we were, I agree with you, equally as bad in that first half as we were, as you say, Brentford, Charlton, um, Fulham, other away games. We actually created two good chances in the first half, which Tom Lawrence and Martin Wagwan both should have done a lot better with. So I wouldn't have thought, said it was a, a fortunate point because I think in the end we, we held our own and, and we gave as good as we got. I think we were lucky, though, to be in still in the game at half-time, as, as you said. Yeah, I, I think if you look at the point that it is, away at Middlesbrough, at the Riverside, given their recent run, run of form, it's a really good point. And um, despite the kind of poor performance in the first half after going in um, just the one goal down and coming out much improved side in the second half showing our grit and determination which was really good to see um, we'll definitely be happy with the point and and had you offered us a point before the game I definitely would have taken it yeah I'd I'd agree with all of what you've said there Um, Middlesbrough actually top of the form table not just over the last five games but I believe actually over the last 10 they've not been ripping it up they've I think they've picked up 20 points in that time which is a decent return but not sort of like an unbelievable return in that that period and um, so a point away at Borough is a really good point and um, my only one concern from that second half I thought we had a lot more control but we didn't really create that many chances arguably with the Lawrence and the Waghorn chance they were our best two opportunities of the game and they came in the first half but um, I don't think it was a fortunate point I think it was well deserved um, and I think Derby showed as you say Anton a lot of grit and determination to get back in there. So if you look at the first goal the uh, Lewis wing goal from just outside the area on 16 minutes. Uh, hell of a strike. Uh, ben Hamer came in for a bit of criticism. Some fans saying on social media he maybe could have got closer to it. But uh, you, you said yourself, Anton, that it did come through. He did have a lot of players in front of him when he when he picks his spot first time. So do you think, with that in mind, Anton, it's a goal where you just have to hold your hands up and say there's not much you can do? Or, or was it more preventable than it looked? In, in fairness, it's a really good strike from wing and it's right in the corner and I do think it's very harsh to give any criticism to Hamer for, for that goal. I think the one thing you can say about um, the way we could have prevented that goal is closing him down quicker because we did give him a lot of time and space on the edge of the box and Lewis Wing is not... Um, not un- it's not unusual for him to score goals like that. He, he scored three this season, all from outside the box and he has got previous in... in um, previous seasons as well so we should have had identified that as a potential threat and closed him down much quicker 
But having said that, it, it was a really good strike. So fair play to him. I think Derby there were going through the motions defensively. We were getting men in the right positions and behind the ball, but not really putting any pressure on. I think it made we made it quite easy for Borough. They moved the ball inside side quite nicely from the right hand side, and then it was just sort of dropped back to Wing, who's almost in the pocket, and he he finished that fantastically. And and I don't know what you think, Hutch, but for me, I don't think Ben Hamer had a chance with that. I thought it was right in the corner. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't point any fingers at Ben Hamer on that, and I think it's probably a little bit harsh to point the fingers at defence too much. I think it was a really well worked move. I think they moved the ball really quickly. Patrick Roberts looked really lively. It was kind of a one-two on the edge of the box, and there wasn't actually much time to to close wing down. So it's, it's one of those goals. I know we we all like to rip apart the Derby defence for every goal we concede, but I think it's one of those where I wouldn't have too many complaints. But I would agree with Tom that in general, the, the phrase "going through the motions" is exactly what you'd say about that whole first half. Of Derby, it was really back to the the woeful. Um, there's, there was no energy. The, the players, and don't, what's strange about that is there was no energy in that first half. But then the second half was the total opposite, and he put that down to the system change. But actually, it the, the main change was the intensity that they played at, and they moved the ball quicker, and they were further forward, and they were winning their fifty fifties. So I think going through the motions is what I would generally say about that first half, and we we kind of got away with it really. I think it's concerning that you mentioned there's lack of intensity, lack of winning second balls, getting back into shape when we lose the ball and that sort of thing, which is all the things that Borough were doing. And they were a decent, a very solid improvement on the uh, the Borough team that came to us a couple of months ago where they, to be fair, couldn't have really looked much worse. They were, they were abject. But the, the thing that concerns me is that this, this is like the fourth or fifth time this has happened away from home where we haven't looked at the races for the first half an hour where we where we've lost the, the physical battle and the, and, the, and the battle in the middle and yeah you can maybe connect that to, to Koku not being a, a a shouter and a baller and, and a sort of manager who who lights a fire under players before games but the, the fact that he's having to say the same thing again and again is a concern but I don't know maybe that's just me but the the goal that did come after the break uh, I think we can all agree that Jason Knight quite clearly didn't mean it. Um, I know he's decent, but he's not that good. Um, on 54 well, minutes, Nino, isn't he? when he uh, when he got that ball out on the right, whipped in across straight over the keeper, in off the uh, in off the beans on toast at the, at the uh, in the corner. Um, but Kirch, he wanted to flag up some of the work that Tom Lawrence did in the build up, and we've spent a lot of time giving him pelters this season as a lot of fans have, but that goal does partly come through him, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. He's the one that wins it back in that corner. And actually, what you're expecting to happen is what happens with Tom Lawrence nine out of ten times, that situation, is him to give away a stupid foul. I think the one, the player, Derby player, I'm going to hark back to the 90s, a Derby player that I remember doing that the most often was Dion Burton, who used to frustrate life out of me because he'd always give away free kicks in the, in the opposition, like corner flag. Uh, but Tom Lawrence, he put the pressure on, he was strong, and he actually won the ball back fairly. And then he had the, the presence of mind to actually just lay it off Jason Knight, who had a good opportunity for a cross. And I thought, I thought that was just, you know, we want to see Tom Lawrence doing that three or four times a match, not just once a month. Um, but I thought that was excellent. And credit, credit where it's due, um, that was a, a proper assist from Tom Lawrence, even if it wasn't a, a proper goal from uh, Jason Knight. Tom Lawrence is the modern day Dion Burton. That's the sort of analysis that uh, <laughs> gets you nominated for awards, I think. Tom, what are you going to say there? <laughs> um, I'm not quite sure Tom Lawrence is Dion Burton. I quite liked him and I'm not so sure about Lawrence, but neither here nor there. Um, Lawrence did well, to be fair to him. He won the ball back, as you say, Kutch. Um, and then he, he did have that presence of mind. And 
I remember watching the the highlights because I, I followed the game rather than watching it. And as I saw that moment, I didn't realise that was going to lead to the goal. I saw Lawrence going in there. I thought, did Lawrence pick up a booking? That was my first thought on it um, because I just expected him to clean the defender out and pick up a booking unnecessarily. But fair play to him. He stood up well um, and he built on what was a, a reasonable performance against Palace in, in that moment. But far too many times, Lawrence is still frustrating when we're going forward and doesn't, doesn't offer enough for us. Um, but that was one time that he has done. So uh, fair play to him and Jason Knight gets a bit lucky but we'll we'll take that on the road. I mean it, it was a bit surprising to see Lawrence come back into the team um, given kind of how well the team has, has played over the last few weeks. Uh, I know he came back in at Crystal Palace but that was more to give the other players a rest. We'll come on to that in a bit uh, a bit later but I, I was certainly surprised to see Lawrence on that starting lineup. Um, I don't know about you guys. Yeah absolutely yeah yeah I thought that um Maybe Holmes, Knight, and um, I don't know, possibly even Whitaker or, or Bird. But yeah, I, it, it was surprising. But Koku clearly sees something in him. He's, he's determined to persevere with a player who can win matches occasionally, but only seems to do it about once every 10 games. Do, do you think maybe it's um, obviously Sibley got a good run out against Palace on a Sunday last week? Um, does Koku not quite trust him for the sort of like real bread and butter of the championship, given that we're we're not in the most comfortable of positions, like looking sort of downwards? Yes, I think we're we're far enough away at the moment, touch wood. Um, but there is still a lot to play for. Maybe you want that experience when you go away to a big side who are who are a strong physical side and a strong championship side like Middlesbrough. Well, hold that thought because you've uh, jumped ahead of me in the running order, as you uh, sometimes tend to do. We all get a bit excited. Um, we're going to come on to that. <laughs> in due course but the uh, the penalty just an absolute head in hands moment wasn't it when Middlesbrough went 2-1 up through Paddy McNair on the 67 minutes uh, Derby had started that second half really really well obviously come out having sorted themselves out Koku said that they'd had words at half time um, and that the, that the manager so Dwayne Holmes said that and he said that the manager had got stuck into them um so to put in all that work for, for more than 20 minutes in the second half and then concede a penalty like that is incredibly frustrating. I mean, um, I guess you do have to ask, was it a penalty? I think for me it was. People do people talked about Clark diving in, going to ground too early. Um, I mean, Bogle does also go to ground seconds before. Like, you know, it's not as if Clark is the only one who lunges in on Roberts. But uh, when we tweeted about this on match day... Um, one of our followers on Twitter, Mark Spenlove, said to us on Twitter, uh, it, was a, it was a silly tackle, although to be fair, when Roberts drops the shoulder and runs at you like that, things will happen. So was that an avoidable one, Tom, for you? Um, I think when once Robert gets, Roberts gets enough space to pick the ball up and drive at the defence, um, he's quite quick and he dribbles at pace and I think it's difficult for people to readjust their bodies. Um, so I think, yes, it was because all, I believe all penalties are going to be uh, avoidable, but I think Roberts does very well. And, and for me, I agree with you, Chris. I think as soon as um, Clark goes down to ground in, inside the penalty area, um, it's, it's you've got danger of giving away the penalty and I think there might there may well be contact there and I don't think we can have too many complaints uh, even if he does touch the ball he certainly impedes him so yeah penalty for me I mean Clark could have given away a penalty about what two minutes earlier than that I thought Clark was quite lucky to get away with the one he he had another foul he made two minutes earlier when he when he lunged in he did get the ball that time but it wouldn't have been surprised if he'd given away a penalty then um I thought Clark looked shaky all game actually um I thought it was one of his poorer games since his comeback um I thought he was 
not great distribution wise. He's got a habit of like hoofing, hooking the ball up in the air quite often when he's clearing it and trying to get rid of it. Um, was not convincing, and I thought I thought based on the fact that he could have given away a penalty a few minutes before, I was not surprised when the referee pointed at a spot the second time. I thought it was just poor, desperate defending when he didn't need to be desperate. And, and Jaden Bogle also had set the tone for that, as, as you mentioned. Yeah, I, I was actually talking to a colleague at work who's a Portsmouth fan about um, Matt Clark and, and the fact that he um, often looks like he's going to give away a penalty. And he said he, he did love a, a kind of glory tackle in his days at Portsmouth, kind of diving in to um, get that last ditch tackle and get the ball away, which obviously has led to a, a penalty at the weekend. And, and we have seen it quite often um, in his brief time at Derby. So that could be a reason why um, we, we seem to be giving away quite a lot of penalties so far this season. Yeah, I think um, in terms of why we give away so many penalties, I think often the, the Derby defence seems to drop deep quite quickly. And so we're, we're left vulnerable to people who run at us with, with pace. Uh, and as soon as that happens, there's a bit of trickery. We're forced into making that that dangerous tackle where someone's knocked the ball past you and you make contact accidentally you've seen that so many times look back to Dowell on the first day of the season when granted they're not running at pace but um the guy turns and Dowell's just left like flat-footed and ends up bringing him down that has happened far too often I think some decision making we know we have problems with that uh, in defense the amount of mistakes that we've made that have led to goals but some of the decision making with the tackles has been poor um and we've led to conceding conceding penalties I don't think we can have too many complaints uh once again and we need to cut that out so yeah, that is or was the 10th penalty that Derby have conceded this season in the league, I'm led to believe. it's a, That is a freakishly high number, I feel. Um, and Anton and Tom have touched on why they think we concede so many spot kicks themselves, Kutch. I just wonder if it's anything to do with the fact that we've never really had a natural defensive midfield pairing or a natural player in that position um, with... Shinny's injury and Bielik and that the back four are just a bit too exposed for too many games this season. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, Tom mentioned about the defence often uh, dropping too deep too quickly. And I think that's probably um, a result of what you just said uh, there, Chris, about not having a, a more effective shield in front of them that can protect them. And I think even when someone like Bielik is there, Bielik can be a bit erratic himself. It's quite a young defence as well, obviously Curtis Davis aside. Um, and Davis has only been there for a few months. I think there's just a bit of lack of organisation. And when you've got a bit of uh, disorganisation, um, not an effective defensive shield, uh, then you're going to start defending desperately. And again, Bogle's still a teenager. Max Lowe's 21 now, and Matt Clark's not much older than that as well. So it's a young team, and it's been a lot of chopping and changing. It's, it's not an excuse for conceding 10 penalties, which is outrageous. Um, but it does maybe explain some of it. Uh, so let's hope that they can uh, get that number far down in the second half of the season because that's a lot of goals to be conceding from uh, from the penalty spot. That equaliser, though, what an absolute peach that was. I did not see that coming for one second. Nice build-up, actually, like centering around Rooney. Like He gets it in, like shows good feet to get the pass out to, uh, was it Lowe or Whitaker? Whitaker, who who pops in a left-footed cross. Lowe was involved as well, though. Not a, gr- not a great cross, but... When it's headed way up in the air, let's not forget that that ball comes down from a, a decent height, comes down with some uh, teesside snow on it. And, uh, well, Holmes admitted afterwards it actually rolled down his shin. So can you imagine where it would have gone if he actually connected with it properly? It was an absolute, absolute pearler of a goal, wasn't it, Anton? I mean, yeah, rolling down his shin or not, it, it was great technique. You said 
how high the ball went up, the fact that it went up so high and it came down almost vertically, it's 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 such a difficult skill to to manage and running on straight against the ball as well. Um, it's it's really impressive from Dane Holmes, something that we've not seen at all really in, throughout his Derby career. Uh, I think it's his first goal of the season actually. Um, really good to see. Um, Holmes has been superb in the last few weeks um, and to add a goal to that as well is, is really good. If, if he can start adding more goals to his game, he's going to become a, a really, really top player at this level. He said himself, Tom, that he thinks he's getting back to his best now. He was absolutely class against Charlton. Um, we all remember man in a match display. Do you agree? Yeah, um, oh, we've been impressed with him this year. Um, even though he hasn't maybe statistically backed that up with goals and assists. But if he can start to add that, as Anton says, he's going to be a, a real sort of uh, important player in this Derby team. Um, and yeah, fair enough. If it rolls down his uh, shin and goes in the bottom corner, I'm not not really too bothered. We all know what Pride Park's like and uh, the Riverside's very similar. It often gets quite windy in there and up in the northeast, having uh, got family up there, it is often pretty windy too. So it uh, wouldn't surprise you if that ball's moving around in the air as it comes down. So a fantastic heat, uh, fantastic hit. Great technique, uh, and I think uh, overall just about a deserved point. I think we'd uh, we'd take that as an away display. One thing which I've noticed actually is is how big a correlation there is between Derby's good performances and Dwayne Holmes' good performances, which is just kind of highlighting the the importance of him in this team. He he provides that energy that we're sometimes lacking, kind of brings a different dimension to the team. And when he's playing well and driving forward, creating chances, we look a much better team. Although, having said that, he was one of the players, I believe, he didn't play against Palace in the Cup, did he not? It came on halfway through, or halfway through the second half, I believe. That sounds about right. But he was one of a number of changes that were made against Crystal Palace. Koku making nine changes for the Cup, uh, Forsyth, Malone, Whitaker, Sibley, Martin, Huddleston, Roos, Lawrence and Bogle all came in, although Bogle obviously returning from injury and he'll be probably first choice going forward. Um, then made seven changes from that cup team for Middlesbrough. I guess keeping players fresh has to be a factor. There's a lot of games in, in late December, early January. But I just wonder, Kutch, if uh, those two team selections that um, that Koku produced gave us a bit of a better idea of which players he fancies long-term, which ones he trusts and uh, which ones he, he doesn't quite see yet as um, as reliable week-in, week-out first-teamers. Yeah, quite possibly. But I think, as you said, there's been, you know, he probably had to rush in. in. In those league games where we've done well leading up to the Palace game, he's had to play probably more minutes in the legs of the youngsters than he would have expected to have done because of injuries. And because they've played well, they've they've kept their place in the team. He then had the likes of Huddleston back, obviously Lawrence back from his suspension. Um, so I think it was a kind of a mixed bag. I think he got it right. Well, he obviously got it right at Palace because we won the game and he probably just about got it right or maybe the system wrong against Borough. I wouldn't read too much into where where those players fit in the pecking order in relation to Palace and Borough away. I mean, it's hard to drop the likes of Max Bird, Jason Knight, Dwayne Holmes when they've been such a big part of the uptick in the league form prior to the Palace game. They haven't done anything wrong. They've been very impressive. It would be very harsh to drop them for someone like Lawrence. I honestly think the only reason Lawrence came in is because Jack Marriott can't play more than two games in a row. Um, I think Lawrence would not have come in if Marriott had been fit. So I, I wouldn't read too much into it. And I think I think he probably still rates wisdom. I think he likes wisdom, but you've got to play Bogle. Bogle is your 19-year-old asset that's going to be worth 
10, 15 million pounds to the club in either a few days time or six months, 18 months time. So I thought a lot of his decisions made a lot of sense. And when it, when it comes to Louis Sibley, I think Sibley is probably a victim of circumstance in the sense that there's already three teenagers or four teenagers in the in the first team squad at the moment and probably thinks five is maybe too many. Wayne really watched that and you mentioned him, we mentioned him a couple of times on this episode already. Um, really bossed it against Palace, I thought, from a, from a deeper position. Really controlled the game, wasn't getting box to box, but uh, oh, and that, well, you were... You, you just whispered in my ear, Anton, halfway through the first half, this Huddleston-Rooney double pivot is sensual. <laughs> it is unbe- unbeatable, really. I, has there ever been a... I had some strong feelings watching that. <laughs> has there ever been a, a centre midfield pairing for Derby that has a better passing range than those two? I don't think so. But has a bigger lack of pace. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, he bossed it from deep. Wasn't as involved from deep against Borough and then he was pushed further forward in the second half. How have you rated his last two performances, Tom? Um, I thought he was very good against Palace. Uh, after a, a relatively quiet debut, I'd have maybe given five or six out of ten on uh, his debut, but then suddenly it was into the seven and a half, eight territory I thought against Palace. What I liked about him and Huddleston is that, and what I found interesting is, Palace sort of sat off us and allowed us some space, but at the same time, we pushed our fullbacks and our, our wingers quite far forward. So you're playing Bogle, Malone, Whitaker very sort of wide and quite high up the pitch. And what happened is that both Huddleston and Rooney dropped into the centre-back positions and then Forsyth went to left-back and Davis almost went to a sort of right sort of centre-back sort of position. So it gave uh, Huddleston and Rooney the opportunity to just play cross-field passes the whole whole game. It was it was brilliant to watch, especially in the first half, uh, and a really interesting tactical switch I think that uh, Koku made, which may not be suitable to the championship because a lot more sort of blood and thunder and and things like that, and you don't get quite as much time. Um, but we realised and recognised the the shape that Palace would play and the opportunity that it gave us, and I thought I thought Rooney was great against Palace. Just lastly, before uh, we wrap things up for the first half, the VAR incident at Palace that uh, tangle off the ball between Tommy Huddleston and uh, Milivojevic, both players initially yellow-carded, then VAR intervened. We're all singing VAR. Um, It's just ridiculous panto, isn't it? And then uh, they said they were having a look. Then VAR told Michael Oliver to look at his pitch-side monitor the first time that has happened in England. Um, Anton, what did you you make of it all when it was happening? A little bit of a farce in a way, wasn't it? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, as much as I dislike VAR I was kind of glad we got to see it um, in action firsthand I I was actually very supportive of the ref going over to the screen because at the end of the day he's in charge of the the game and and he should be making the final decision it did take a a ridiculously long time for what should have been a a very straightforward decision because it was it was pretty much stonewall headbutt in, into Huddleston and, and it should have been much quicker than that. Yeah, the right decision was made um, and I think they can have no complaints at all. I can't understand how the assistant hasn't seen it and the referee at one stage was definitely look, looking at the tussle and um, Milivojevic, before he even puts the head in, he definitely kicks out of Huddleston when he's on the ground. and that three times. Yeah, yeah, and he's looking at that and I can't understand how he's not seen it. However, with VAR, I mean, I'm not a very big fan of it at all in, in the sense that it takes too long and I think someone needs to you need to have like a very quick and open communication with it a bit more like they do with rugby so you can maybe hear what's being said um and even if that's i don't play the tannoy i don't know how it works at rugby because i've not been to some of the top level games but there's definitely some things to work on but i do like the fact that oliver went over to the pitch side monitor and he made his own call um 
and I think that's the that's the right way to go for VAR. But thank God we don't have to deal with it week in week out because it is crap and it sucks the life out of football. Exactly. As we're uh, as we live in the Championship, that's the uh, first and last time I mentioned VAR on this podcast for at least another twenty five episodes. I'm delighted we're still in the Championship, Chris. Keep us there. <laughs> so don't forget to subscribe to Steve Lim is watching. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud, and we'll be back in a few seconds. Hi, I'm Dean Sturridge. Hi, I'm Paul Pesky-Solido. Hi, I'm Curtis Davis, and you're listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing. So I was going to start in the next bit of the pod by uh, talking about whether we think the league or the cup is a priority, but um, we had some breaking news, literally, in uh, what we were just gathering our thoughts during the break, and it's, um, it's, it's not good news. We've literally been on Twitter and found out that uh, club record signing Christian Bielik has been stretched off for the under-23s after appearing to injure his knee. I think this, more than anything else, probably makes Philip Koku one of the unluckiest managers we've had in our recent history for his uh, club record signings to be out after half a season. Um, but, Kutch, how do you think that news, if it is a long-term injury, it looks like it may well be, how does that change our first eleven and our priorities in the January transfer window? Um, I don't know if it does, to be honest. I think we definitely needed a centre-back anyway. And I was thinking, because we've had some impressive performances from the base of the midfielders in the sense of uh, Max Bird, obviously Wayne Rooney, Tom Anderson's available again, and Shinny hopefully will be back within a few weeks. Um, I actually thought that that was an area we're particularly strong in. And I, I was considering maybe Bielik might have a job to do at centre-back if we're still short of centre-backs. So for me, it doesn't change too much in a transfer window. Obviously, it's a huge blow because Bielik is, as you say, a record signing and has shown signs of being an excellent player in this league, um, albeit yet to find some consistency. So it doesn't change a huge amount for me, but would be a hell of a blow to our season if if we have lost him. Obviously, we don't know that yet. We just know he's been stretched off. It is the most Derby County thing in this most Derby County of seasons for their star player, top signing, to be injured with an injury, playing for the kids, uh, playing with the kids when he's been suspended for a couple of games to get a bit of match fitness. It's just um, it just sums up the luck and the, the, what's gone on this season. Um, I agree with Cuts though. I don't see a change in our what I would say should be our transfer policy. I still think centre half, as we've discussed before, is a really important position for us to strengthen. I think we've got lots of options in that midfield, and Max Bird has come in uh, and done more than enough. And as you say, Shinny is on his way back too, uh, and Huddleston's obviously available. Uh, as well so for me still a centre half is the most important um, if Bielik is out injured for a month two months or the rest of the season that is that is obviously bad news but I think we've got enough to cover him in centre midfield yeah I, I think most important position this transfer window very much depends on the formation that Koku wants to play not not just this season but long term actually if, if he does want to eventually get into the kind of 4-3-3 or 4-2-3 however you want to look at it, with the the wide men um, playing a pivotal role in us going forward, then winger's got to be the priority. Um, I, I do agree that we we need a centre-back, but but the the lack of options that we have on the wing and the lack of good options is, is certainly going to be detrimental to us going forward. So if Koku wants to eventually move into that um, formation in the long term which I, I'm sure he probably will because that is his famous form, formation despite not playing that recently because we don't have the options we've got to be looking to sign at, at least one winger this January 
So wingers, centre-backs, defensive midfielders, goalkeepers, uh, who knows where Derby will target their efforts in the window. But one man who knows more than most about that subject with his sources inside the club and his dealings with everything that's happened to Derby County recently is uh, Daily Telegraph Midlands football reporter John Percy, who we had a chat to very recently for the podcast. The second time he's been on, we had him on a couple of seasons ago during the uh, Rowett regime, and he uh, talked to us this time about financial fair play, about uh, Wayne Rooney covering the uh, circus that comes with him, the investment, reported investment at least, with Henry Gabay, and uh, those loan links for the Rams in the January transfer window. So it's been fair to say, John, it's been a, a fairly eventful season or two for Derby since we last spoke to you. Uh, managerial departures, playoff campaigns, various members of uh, England's golden generation coming and going. Uh, it's never boring for you writing about Derby County, is it? There's always something going on at Derby, isn't there? Whether it's a playoff charge or, you know, like you say, managing upheaval or, like you say, Wayne Rooney coming. I mean, it's been a, it's, like you say, it's never dull, is it? There's always something going on. It's always interesting. And uh, yes, as you said there, one of the big stories around the club this season is the arrival of uh, Wayne Rooney and at English football, as it happens, um, and the increased national interest in Derby that comes with it. Um, From your point of view, John, how have you found it covering that story compared to your dealings with, say, Frank Lampard at Moore Farm last season? Well, I think it's almost it's almost replaced the X factor, hasn't it, with uh, Lampard? Obviously, you've got Philip Cocker as well, who you know people who are just concerned on English football. I mean, he is an absolute legend. I mean, let's have it right. He was one of the best midfield players of the late nineties you've ever seen in Barcelona. I mean, and the team he was playing alongside. So, I mean, to get him to replace Frank was obviously a big move. But yeah, I mean, really, he's just. You know, it's just raised standards around the place. It's just a great signing. You know, I mean, I think already people are probably who doubted whether he still had the ability. Maybe he can't have another legs anymore. But I think, you know, some of the touches he displayed against um, Palace in the cup game, for example, I think he's only going to get fitter and better. Cause whatever you can do, you can train all week, but it's, it's match fitness you need playing in matches, which I think he's obviously going to get better. And, and I think even at Palace, there was there were signs of a midfield pairing with Huddleston there that people probably would have been surprised about but I mean it's really it's really sort of you know the profile for Derby's up there again which is probably what you know the chairman was after you know someone to just sort of raise the expectations and the standards on and off the field and he's been there so far really signs are very good aren't they? They certainly are and um, I wanted to just mention one to you that, uh, that, that you'd written about yourself before Christmas, um, forgive me for basically asking what, what what's happening transfer wise, but you wrote about um, Leicester's Philippe Philippe Benkovic. That's right, yeah, the Croatian international links with a loan in a report by yourself in uh, on December the twenty third. Um, it all went a bit quiet on that one after that. Do you know what the latest is on that one, John? Well, the latest is he is the number one target. He's the one they want, the right side of centre half. I can my understanding is that it was very very close to getting done last week, but obviously picked up the injury in the FA Cup against Wigan which I think put it back and obviously I think Wes Morgan also got injured for Leicester which um, which basically put it back a bit he was on the bench against Villa in the Carabao Cup and uh, in the league against Southampton on Saturday so he's come back quicker he's available I think there's still a very good chance here it could happen obviously there are other clubs interested 
Um, but I think you know, obviously the Rooney factor, the Koku factor, and obviously the fact he will play because of the sheer lack of options that we've got after the Keogh situation. You know that that would be attractive because the one thing Leicester are continually saying about Benkovic is it's really important that he goes out and plays regular football. He would get out of Derby, no, no, no shadow of a doubt. And uh, just want to mention to you as well, which um, has, has come from a, a rival journalist from, from another national publication, has linked um, Sheffield United's Billy Sharp with Derby on loan. Is that one that you've heard of yourself, or how likely do you think that Derby? How, how likely do you think it is that Derby might go for him? Well, I think it's certainly likely because I can tell you this right now. He nearly joined in January last year. This is um, I don't know if that's ever come out, but um, Frank tried to get him in in January last year. It was quite close to happening towards the end of the deadline. Um, there was some sort of contract um, row going on with Billy Sharp and Sheffield United at the time and um, I think there was, a, there was an idea to get him in on loan last January so he's obviously been a target you know the recruitment people will have their own targets you know Philip Cocky will have his own targets but he has been on the radar before I, th- I think there was a bit of a, a shake of hands at Sheffield United and it, I think I mean I'm trying to remember exactly what happened it's a year ago I could, I could better remember last week but I think it was something to do with He'd had a bit of a fallout with Chris Wilder. I think they basically kissed and made up, and the new contract was was back on the agenda. And it didn't. It fell through at the last minute. So I mean, he's certainly on the radar for Derby. He's a target. I mean, God, if he's available, goal scorer in the Championship, he's proven it. You know, year after year. Um, yeah, I think you know you'd have to be looking at players like that. You know, it's just like if a striker is available in the Championship, everyone's to be looking at him. Just on that, you've you said that the deal almost happened. Um, you, you've obviously got your information there. Have there ever been? other rumours around the clubs that you cover that you have heard but you've been unable to like stand up or or, or, or make concrete for whatever reason so you've had to sort of not go with them and, and leave that story be? Oh yeah, that happens all the time. You know, you, you have to be careful with your information. You have to obviously look after your sources. I know it sounds all very cliche but it is, it is true. If, you know, there's always, uh, if someone tells you something, you've got to be understanding it sometimes. You can't write it, you can't be in a position to write it. That's why I'm often very reluctant to sort of mention names, you know, because a lot of these deals don't happen. I mean, you know, Benkovic, you know, they've, they've made no secret that they've been after him, you know, that's, that's one of their number one targets. If if he was going to stay at Leicester, if there was a chance of him playing, for, I wouldn't have written that story. I would have just thought it's not going to happen. You just have to read between the lines sometimes. But, you know, obviously players get linked, players, want, players are wanted by clubs all the time. You just have to sort of choose which ones are goers, which ones aren't really. And uh, speaking of stories that may or may not be happening, uh, you've, uh, you wrote yourself also in December about uh, the possible new investment in Derby from uh, London-based Swiss-Turkish hedge fund and private equity businessman Henry Gabe, it's a bit of a mouthful, who was reported to be close to uh, investing in Derby. That was in early December and some reports have said it was expected to be finalised by the end of the month. Do you know if that's still happening or why the news of that one has gone a bit quiet since the new year? They're definitely still talking. They're in active uh, final talks, I think is the best way to say it. I mean, I think we could be seeing something maybe next week, the week after. I know we've been here before. I know Derby wanted it done by the end of the year, but these are very sort of complicated deals. You know, the financial sort of details, the small little small print, if you like. You know, these these things do take time. They're definitely still talking. I mean, the, the guy knows his stuff by all accounts. You know, he's obviously, I think he's had some connection with Arsenal. Uh, he's an Arsenal fan by all accounts. Um, he totally understands the sort of strategies RB are going for. You know the way they the way they went, the way they want to go. They won't be coming in and sort of you know pretend we want that player, we want that player. It's going to be quite a natural transition. But I think yeah, I mean from what I'm hearing now, that that could be something by the end of the month. I know we said this last month, 
but you know these things can take time. I mean, the talks have been on and off, but now they're definitely on the sort of final straight. I think. So we'll uh, wait and see on that one. I mean, we couldn't get you on, John, without asking about the uh, the incident which some say has defined Derby's season earlier before Christmas, the, uh, the the drink drive incident on the team bonding session. That did damage the investment deal at the time. That, um, I hate to use the expression, that did put the brakes on it a little bit. Well, what, what I was going to ask you was how, how much you thought it affected our season, but it sounds like there's concrete evidence in, uh, in, in exactly how that happened. Yeah, I mean, I think... Um, it was obviously a, a bad night gone wrong, wasn't it? Um, it's defined the whole season. It may, let's hope it doesn't. You know, let's hope there's something better at the end of it. But um, it was just a very regrettable incident. I mean, obviously, it's still the fallout's still there. I think you know, Keo's considering the appeal through the football league, which obviously is right. Um, you know, it, I think to be fair, it has gone a bit. I, I did think it would overshadow everything, but um, yeah, I mean, it's just it's just one of those regrettable incidents. I mean, Philip Cocky. You know, you have to feel for him. I mean, it's just absolute nightmare for him when he's, you know, he's trusted his players to do, you know, behave on a night out, and it's just gone completely, completely wrong. I mean, it's just, um, it was an absolute nightmare for him. So you mentioned that it uh, it did affect the the investment conversation. So was it a case that Derby's ownership? And staff had to sort of convince Gabay or whoever it was that you know that it's not representative of what the club are like, and that we are still worth investing in despite that happening. I think it was more to do with the fact that obviously they had to launch a very vigorous investigation into what happened on the night out, and obviously that was you know with contract law and everything that had to be very much the focus at the time. You know they had to they had to be absolutely clear on everything with that. They had to do a thorough. You know, vigorous investigation into what happened. I think that sort of just delayed it a little bit. I mean, maybe there was a bit of that. Maybe there was a bit of, you know, we're not, we're not a club like this. Isn't doesn't represent our club. But from, from what I can gather, it was more to do with the fact that Mel was obviously so furious about it that it needed looking at properly. And, you know, maybe the eyes were just somewhere else for, for a few weeks. Fair enough, fair enough. And uh, just lastly, John, I know you've written about this final subject extensively yourself, but those dreaded letters FFP, which uh, Derby fans are always wary of themselves. You, re- you reported yourself that uh, that Birmingham City could face a second point deduction for being charged and Sheffield Wednesday have also been charged having sold their stadium to their owner. It's well known, of course, that Derby have done the same thing, but they've always insisted that what they've done is legal and above the law. I know it's very difficult for you to say, but do you think Rams fans have anything to be concerned about in that aspect? Well, Derby have been pretty um, consistent all the way through in that what they did at the time was in the rules, and you know you can look at it yourself. It, when when the stadium was sold, it wasn't. There was no. There was nothing preventing that in the rules. So it just depends what the reading of is it from the football league. I mean, obviously, Sean Harvey has now left the uh, football league, so he would have been in charge of those rules before regarding the stadium sales. Derby have always said that they, you know, they did what was in the rules at the time. They've done. They've done nothing wrong. Obviously, there's a lot of opposition from other clubs. Um, Sheffield Wednesday are in trouble. You know, like you say, Birmingham are in trouble. I mean, they sell their stadium, ironically, as well, in their accounts last week. But um, there's been no sort of um, action on that, I don't think. So, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's one to worry about at this stage. But obviously, the only thing that would, that would concern me is the Football League are being very um, militant on things like this now. And, you know, they're sort of not letting things, any things, any little things slide because they want to be seen sort of showing their authority. So I'm not saying that means Derby will get punished, but it just means they are being very litigious about certain things now. Well, we shall, uh, we shall wait and see. Well, John, it's um, it's great to have you on and to get your insight into all those subjects. I appreciate your time. Um, 
and uh, we look forward to seeing what comes out in the next few weeks but uh, enjoy the rest of the season thanks a lot all the best so one name that John Percy mentioned there was Billy Sharp and he gave us a revelation that uh, it's not actually the first time Derby have been linked with him uh, as we apparently went for him under Lampard this time a year ago. Uh, there was a, We were close to getting a deal over the line but he ended up settling his differences and kissing and making up with Chris Wilder and staying there for the back end of their promotion season. Um, 34 now I think but got 20 plus goals in the promotion season um, Tom would you take him? Uh, if he scores anywhere near the goals that he scored last season then yes you wouldn't of course you would take him but I do think it's interesting that we're we maybe looking at a striker when we have got three strikers Martin, Marriott and Waghorn um, who arguably only play one up front so then we're going to have four strikers so that suggests to me if we do get sharp someone's heading out and if they're going to head out then I'd like them to be doing it permanently um, Sharp is only a, a stopgap isn't he he's 34 you don't want to be signing another sort of potentially David Nugent-esque uh, sort of player perhaps on big wages to, to try and do a job for 18 months or well, it'll be a loan wouldn't it I guess we yeah. only pay a fraction of his wages but what I mean is didn't Nugent initially perhaps come on on loan Cameron Jerome certainly came initially on loan as well like these sort of journeymen sort of strikers who are quite old who are proven championship players granted but We've got enough strikers for me. And yes, I would definitely take Sharp because he does does score goals, but it's going to be more interesting in who's going out the door for me. Were Nugent and Cameron Jerome on loan? I can't remember. Anyway, I... don't tweet us. <laughs> we don't care. Um, we, well, speaking of Twitter, we did put this one out in a poll. The simple question being, um, Billy Sharp on loan, should Derby do it? Uh, yes or no? 81%, sorry, it went down to 80 by the end. 80% said yes. 20% saying no. Um, Kutch, I mean, I guess the issue is what would Billy Sharp's motivation be? I mean, he's got his um, Sheffield United are his hometown club, aren't they? He's got them into the Premier League, mm. stayed there, scored there, is presumably on a pretty cushy deal in the Premier League. Um, do you think it's a deal that, that, that works for him and do we actually need him? I think if uh, I think his motivation would be to play games if he was happy with, with his lot and happy that he'd got his hometown club into the Premier League and he was happy sitting on the bench or not in the squad, then he wouldn't bother coming out to us, would he? So um I think uh, I think I think he would definitely add something to the team. I think he'd he's a nuisance. I think what we really missed against Borough, particularly in that first half, was because Jack Marriott wasn't able to play, we didn't have that threat in behind and so we never had that ball on. Billy Sharp would offer that ball again. You know, he'd be the option the different option to Marriott who can offer sight in behind and, and, and put defenders on the back foot. So I think that would be valuable even without um his uh, prolific goal scoring. If you look at his record though actually, he's a bit he, he can be extremely prolific, but when he has been extremely prolific, it tends to be when he's joined the club in League One, scored a bucket full of goals for them in League One, got promoted with them, and then continued scoring for that club in the Championship. When he went to Reading on loan, he did very poor. He didn't do very well at Doncaster on loan. He didn't do that great at Nottingham Forest on loan. Uh, he did okay at Southampton. Um, at Scunthorpe, it was when he did really well there. He did well with Sheffield Knight when he brought them up. And I think in his first spell, or his, uh, his first spell at Doncaster was when he did well as well. So um, I think there's question marks whether he's as consistent as people think he is in terms of his goal scoring. Obviously, he had a great season last season. But I kind of agree with Tom. We've got three proven championship, championship strikers, but they've all got something not quite right about them, have, have they? Like Marriott's not fit enough. Martin's not 
the player he was and isn't as mobile. And Waghorn seems to be going for a really tough spell in front of goal, though we, we do know he can be a good finisher. So it's a tough one because on paper we have three good championship strikers, but for one reason or another, they're not quite delivering. Do you think that's part of the issue, Anton? Do you think part of this this link... We don't actually know if it's true. I mean, there's uh, a bit, been a bit of toing and froing some local paper reports saying that we haven't made contact with Sheffield United, but, uh, you know, there's no smoke about fire. Do you think part of this is just frustration from Koku, maybe, that, as Kutcher said there, of our three strikers, Martin isn't the prairie was, Waggon doesn't take enough of his chances, and Marriott simply doesn't play enough games? Yeah, without a doubt. Um, I, I was a little bit surprised to see that we were in for a striker, given that it's probably not top priority. But it, if we are, it's clear that Koku doesn't trust what, what we have available at the moment. We've gone through um, all, all of their flaws and, and what Billy Sharp could bring is a different dimension, especially when Marriott's not fit. As Kutch said, he, he provides that option of, of the long ball, um, gives a bit of pace, and, and he is a proven goal scorer at, at this level. So I, I would certainly take him. Um, I think it would be a, a, a good addition to the squad. We're going to move on to, very quickly, to uh, goal of the month for December, because um, not because I forgot to do it in the last podcast. That, that genuinely isn't an excuse. It is. Um, but uh, yeah, we only scored three goals from open play in December, which doesn't really help. Doesn't make for a great goal in a month. Sounds like every other month. <laughs> <laughs> Fractionally less than other months. Jason Knight v. Charlton or uh, Martin Waghorn v. Wigan, I guess, are the only real choices. Unless you think the uh, bundled bundled header from half a yard out for Jason Knight deserves a shout for goal in a month. Uh, Tom, can you give any sort of argument against Jason Knight v Charlton being the best goal we scored from open play in December? Um, I think the only argument you can give is the context of the Waghorn finish last minute in front of the away end. Uh, also, good technique. Keeps it down, sets himself. And Kicks the ball really hard. Right-footed on the half volley. <laughs> I think it's a decent bit of technique. Keeps, as I say, like sometimes a less composed, composed player might have blazed that over uh, and you'd be frustrated and you'd be looking at nil point from Wigan uh, on Boxing Day. But as it was... Waggon finished it nicely, but for me, it's obviously going to be be night. The great ball out uh, from Dwayne Holmes, secondary assist, my favourite type. Uh, then the cross in from Burden, the f- the finish obviously from oh sorry, yeah, cross in from Burden, the finish from night. Let's uh, let's move on from that because there's very little to say really. So we have awarded gold of the month for December in association with the tap in Derby to uh, Jason Knight v Charlton. So well done to him. Uh, a few more minutes left on the clock. Tom, you've got a uh, you've got a guess the 11 for old time's sake. Yeah, as uh, coaches in South Africa, we thought we wouldn't have something uh, too competitive, so um, you don't have to be in the buzzer. Uh, so the game is, I'm going to give you a, give you a football match, and that football match is Middlesbrough against Derby County on the 15th of January 2000. Uh, Derby County won 4-1 that day. Um, and the game is that you're going to go around in turns and you have to give me a name of a player that either started or came off the bench from either Middlesbrough uh, or Derby County that day. Uh, we'll start with Chris, then we'll go to Anton, then we'll go to Kutch, and then we'll uh, go from there. 2000, was that? Yeah, 15th that of January, 2000. <laughs> Middlesbrough 1, Derby County 4. And the score of a brace for Derby on that game was, was it a brace? Was uh, Malcolm Christie. Uh, Malcolm Christie is indeed oh. correct. Uh, Anton. Now, I can guarantee that's the only player that Kutch remembers from that game. <laughs> <laughs> I, bet it, I bet it's not. <laughs> I'm trying to think who 
was in goal at that point for Derby. I, I don't want to risk it at the moment. I'm going to go for Branko Strupa. Branko Strupa uh, was not was not even a named substitute, unfortunately, that yeah, day. Yeah, too early. That's too that, early for Strupa. That is a, that is a yellow card. I think Strupa was in that squad. Uh, he scored the first goal of the millennium, I seem to recall, against Watford. Oh, okay. uh, yeah. And this that's, was a few weeks later. That's harsh man's on, but the referee's seen it and he's, uh, he's, he's been card happy. Straight straight in. Straight for a yellow. Kutch, oh, what you warning. got? I am going to risk the... Am I going to risk the goalkeeper? Uh, I'm going to actually go my other favourite player from that era and say Chris Riggett. Uh Chris Riggett, according to this, is also not in the squad Too that early. day. Too early. So, unfortunately, that's a, that's a yellow card for you as well, Kutch. <laughs> I'm gonna oh, go, I should have said the goalkeeper. Uh, I'm going to go to uh, Anton, then Kutch, and then Chris, and then we'll go back to Kutch. Hang on, is it my go? Well, otherwise you get the first you get the first one each time, each round. That's true. Oh, so, I see what you mean, yeah, yeah. We'll yeah. go Anton, then Kutch, then Chris. The Anton. snake system, I like I, it. Mm. I am really struggling. Let's, let's be fair, I was eight years old at this point. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> no excuse. It's slightly unfair on me. But um, I, well, I'm, I'm going to go with the goalkeeper after all this chat, and I'm going to go Russell Holt. <laughs> oh, no, Anton. Oh, <laughs> oh, he's no. flown him oh, for no. a second yellow card. <laughs> I think uh, Russell Hot gone, but he's certainly not the goalkeeper that day. Uh, so that's a red card for Anton. Call uh, yourself an eight-year-old Derby fan. Yeah. Kutch, can you uh, keep I this don't. game alive? Yeah, Mark Poom. Mark Poom, perfect, thank you. Uh, Chris? Uh, I believe one of the goal scorers was popular Richard Kutch hate figure, Craig Burley. Indeed, 90th, <laughs> 90th minute fourth goal that day. Uh, we'll go back to Kutch then. Um, yeah, he was actually going to be my next guess as well. Um, okay, so... Uh, 2000. What was the date, Tom? Uh, the 15th. 15- <laughs> 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 it's gonna gonna make gonna make a difference for you. Uh, 15th of January 2000. Ah, uh, okay. No transfer window back then. Burley was playing. I think that Georgie Kincladze would have been playing. Just gonna check whether he came off the bench. Ah, uh, doesn't sound good. And he did in the 76th minute. Oh! So that is a that's a point for Kutch. Wow. Chris, what I have you got? It. Kutch just snuck in a sneaky elbow, but the ref hasn't seen it. Yeah. Um, no VAR today. I'm going to go Middlesbrough and say Mark Schwarzer. Lo- lovely prediction that Mark Schwarzer was, in fact, the goalkeeper for Middlesbrough that day. Uh, okay, so Paul Boateng. That's a good shout. Paul Boateng is a, is a good shout, but unfortunately it's mistimed. It's a yellow oh, card no. and that's <laughs> a second red for Kutch. This is a really great Derby side, actually. I'm surprised we didn't get more, but I'm going to go through the Middlesbrough side first. It was Schwarzer, Robbie Stockdale, Gianluca Festa, Curtis Fleming, Steve Vickers, Gary Pallister, Paul Lintz, Janino, Robbie Musto, Alan Armstrong, and Hamilton Rickard. Wow. Um, oh, Hamilton Rickard. Can I guess some more Derby ones? Yeah, go for it, Chris. Um, Danny Higginbottom? Uh, no, that would have been a yellow card for you. You're Mawani? Uh, that's your red card, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so the Derby team that day, uh, Mark Pumengol, Stefan Schnorr, Carbonari, we've got Steve Elliott, uh, Rory Delap, Lars Bahinen, replaced by the legend that is Avi Nimney, wow. <laughs> uh, Craig Burley, Seth Johnson, Daryl Powell, and a cut you mentioned him earlier today, Tom Lawrence's uh, 2000 Dion incarnation, Dion Burton up front with Malcolm Christie. <laughs> So yeah, uh, well done, Chris. Very good. Thanks very much. And, uh, a good Tough competition. <laughs> yeah, the bar was pretty low for that one. Uh, so thanks for listening to this Steve Bloomer's Washing Podcast. You can get in touch if you like. We're on email. 
stevebloomerswashing at gmail.com. Tell us all the stuff we've got wrong. Uh, we're on Twitter as well, at stevebloomerpod. And we're on Facebook and Instagram. We're going to be back in uh, almost a couple of weeks. So back a week on Sunday. We're going to take in the uh, Northampton Town away cup tie because obviously we haven't got a ticket because it's Northampton. Uh, so we're going to watch that on telly and then maybe do a podcast from the pub. How does that sound? Sounds good to me. Nods. Um, Kutch may or may not be on the phone, but Richard, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Pleasure as always. And uh, Tom, thank you. All the best. And Anton, thanks ever so much for your time. Cheers, lads. Come on, Darby. Bye.